Well, good morning on a very, very another rainy day. Um, you know what? As I was driving this morning, I was asking God, Lord, uh, when are you just going to stop this rain? And he still hasn't given me the answer yet. So I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. But anyways, I, I am super excited this morning because, because I, I don't know if you guys remember the last time I was up here, I was sounding like, oh, 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 like this. And so this morning, I, I was just really thanking God for my regular voice one more time. Now, as you know, that we are in a sermon series called God's Blueprint for, and we have been reiterating that true change begins with transformation. But we all know that change is difficult sometimes. And to be changed people, it takes discipline, practice, commitment, coaching, and encouragement. And the solid proof of us becoming a follower of Jesus Christ is by becoming a transformed people. And so for the last couple of weeks, we've mentioned that knowing that God has created us in his image and, and the value that it has on our transformations and also that his desire, his desire is to be with us. Now I'm going to explain that a little bit next week. His desire is to dwell among us and to have this special covenant uh, with us. And in today's message, uh, we're going to take a look. We're going to take a look at Exodus 32, which I've titled the message, God's Blueprint for a Stiff Neck. Now, before we actually find out what this is all about, uh, let's bow our heads for prayer as we receive God's word. So let's pray. Lord, this morning, uh, we place ourselves before you. And surrender our lives as a living sacrifice. We confess to you that our bodies are yours and that you have made a special covenant with us. So here we are devoting this Sunday, a rest day unto you. So would you transform our minds by applying the history, the principles, the truth that were spoken through Moses to your people some thousands of years ago. And we know that the lesson still lives on through your words as we're about to receive it now. And this morning, Father, God, we confess to you that the words that we're about to receive are alive and powerful. So that I pray right now that it would really, really work powerfully in all of us and that you would fill us anew with your spirit this morning. And Father, God, once again, I say this in your powerful name, Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Uh, when my dad was alive, um, he, he had a kind of a strange ritual, a habit. Uh, he, he loved to whistle. I don't know if you guys ever noticed me. I, I would just whistle. I, I would hum. Uh, but, but what was so special or what was so kind of strange about his ritual was that uh, this, this Korean heavy, thick accent, Korean immigrant man loved to whistle to American pop songs. Kid you not, seriously. He, he, he would listen to these American pop songs and he would just whistle and hum to these American pop songs. And one of his favorite song or one of his favorite tune was from 1968, Frank Sinatra's and very, very American classic. Now, I was going to whistle for you and I was going to hum it for you, but you know what? I'm not going to do it, but I'm just going to read the lyrics. And, and now the end is near. And some of you guys are, okay, I know what the song is about. 
And so I face the final curtains. My friend, I say it clear. I state my case of which I am very certain. I lived a life that's full. I travel each and every highways and much, much more than this. I did it my ways. And that was a song that he would hum and whistle whenever he did odd things around the house to kind of, oh, wow, I, I know what that song is, or I would listen to that song. Now, this last lyric kind of sums up what the Israelites were thinking as they arrive at the foot of Mount Sinai, waiting for Moses to return. So we start in chapter 32, verse 1. This is what God's word says. Now, when, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountains, and people gathered together to Aaron, and they said to him, Come, make us a God that shall we go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we did not know what has become of him. You know, as I was kind of meditating upon the verse, I think two of the hardest tests in our spiritual journey is the patience to wait for God for his moment and the faith, our faith, not to be crushed when facing the trials of life. Now, now let me repeat. I think the two of the hardest tests in our spiritual journey is to patiently wait for God's moment and our faith not to be crushed when facing trials of life. Now, I want to ask you this morning, which is harder, waiting for God, right, or our faith not be crushed when we are facing trials of our life? Now, if you were to ask me, Pastor Ben, which is harder for you? I would probably say that it is actually waiting for me is harder. As a Korean hot-blooded American, I, I think waiting is such a hard thing for me. In fact, you know what? I hate to wait. As I sing the tune of, I must wait, I, I must wait, I must wait upon the Lord, wait upon the Lord. And then the latter goes, I hate to wait, I hate to wait, I hate to wait, I hate doing it. And that's why the Bible kind of, kind of advises us because those who wait upon the Lord shall renew with what? Renew with what? Really, really. Yes, our strength, right? Our strength. And that's in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. Those who wait upon the Lord will renew. We will be renewed in our strength. And so the Israelites were waiting. They were waiting a week. No, two weeks, which led to five weeks. And now they're entering week six. After being exiting from Egypt, they're becoming a little restless, a little antsy. And they figured Moses probably must have died in that explosion, that fire, whatever is going on up there in the mountains. Now, last week, if you were to remember that last week, we read a description that told us that on the mountain, there was this thundering and lightning and this tremendous sound on top of the mountains. And the people did not want to go near it. And now, on the bottom of the mountains, they were saying to one another, you know, Moses probably is gone. He's not coming back. So 
they try to do or they decide to act in haste. What did they try to do? In verse 2. Verse 2 says, And when Aaron saw it, he said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are, the, uh, which are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in the ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from the, land, from the hand, and they fashioned it with an engraving tools and made a molded calf. And they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of land of Egypt. As we know, Moses had gone to the mountains. And the newly appointed leader, Aaron, was now in charge. And, and if you look in verse 2, and when Aaron saw that. Now, you know what? I, I have actually read this passage like over 10 times this week. And whenever I read passage like this, I kind of always anticipate that, you know what, whenever I read something like this, I, I mean, you know, we're talking about a very spiritual leader. They just newly elected Aaron as the high priest here, our spiritual leader. And I would probably expect Aaron to come to his senses and say, hey guys, I, I, I made a mistake. You know, guys, hey guys, you know what, hey, this carving of the golden calf was a big mistake. So guys, you know what, we're going to stop it here, okay guys, we're going to stop it here. Before Moses comes back, let's clear this mess and start a prayer meeting or a prayer of repentance. But that wasn't happening here. As Aaron continues on in verse 5, he says, when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it as they made the golden calf. Now they're making it a kind of an altar. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is feast to the Lord. You know, I'm sure that we've all had one of these moments with God where God breaks into our lives with power and answers our prayers. And he wins, he wins our trust. He, he, he waters our garden of faith, making it all plush and green. Now, up to this moment, the children of Israel had experienced, the, I think, probably the greatest miracle, the 10 plague. Now, especially the last one. Now, if you guys are a Sunday school teacher, you probably know what I'm talking about, right? The last plague, right? The Passover, right? Remember the Passover? Amazing, as the angel of death swishes over Egypt, okay, and passes over all those houses, but he would pass over only the house that had the blood of the lamb on the mantle on the front door. And I don't know about you guys, but you know what? That was amazing, amazing miracle that the Israelites experienced. What about, the, what about the one that as they were going through the Red Sea, right? As the, 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 the Red Sea parted and, and the ground was dry and, and they're going, right? Maybe they were running a little bit, right? Because they saw the, the Egyptians following them. And all of a sudden they realized, right? We're safe because the Red Sea caved in and saw all the Egyptians kind of, you know what? Die before their eyes. Or watching in an amazement the pillar of cloud 
or the pillar of fire as they were being led out of Egypt. Now, but then there are those times, seasons when chaos careens with apparent carelessness through our lives, or an unrelenting darkness descends with an arid wind, and then this wind becomes stronger and stronger, and sometimes we can't seem to understand where that wind is coming from, which leaves a crust in our soul to be cracked and parched. I mean, for the Israelites, it had been 40 days. Now, before the 40 days, they experienced God. But now, after 40 days, there were no God. And the leaders, Aaron and other people were like, they can't help themselves to be in disbelief as they were talking to each other. Hey, where's God? Why is he so silent now? And they become confused, becoming anguish, and they become a little bit nervous. Why is he so quiet? What's going on up there? Doesn't he care? Or maybe sometimes in this kind of season, you begin to wonder, this time around, I don't think God is going to pull us through. I mean, doesn't he know that we left everything in Egypt? We left our homes, our cars, our securities. And they began to wonder, why now? Why here? Why at this moment? Why does he all of a sudden become silent? You know, when my son was little, he would often come to us, his mom and me, and more to his mom than me, uh, when his prayer requests weren't being answered. Usually the stuff that, you know what, that he wanted, but he wasn't getting it. And so he would come to us and says, hey, I got this theological question for you. Now, he didn't say it that way, but that's, that's, that's what he meant, right? That's what he meant. And he would say, hey, mom and dad, you sure God is up there? You sure God is up there listening to my prayers? And my wife would simply giggle and he would look at his little chubby face and he would say, yes, honey, God is up there. God is listening. But my son would walk away in disbelief and he would say, but man, I I wish he would just simply poke out his face once in a while to let me know that he is up there and he would just simply walk away from us. Sometimes in our life, don't we feel that? When God seems to be silent, don't we feel sometimes, Lord, would you just stick your head out a little bit and let me know that you are there? Do you know even Moses, this great spiritual leader with numerous meetings face to face with God, this guy had an encounter with the burning bush. This guy's right now up there right now having this spiritual revelation with God. Even Moses had that craving. If you guys read in the next chapters in 33 verse 18, he even says, oh Lord, show me, show me your face, show me your glory, O oh Lord. 
And right now in chapter 32, that's exactly what the people of Israel is desiring. They wanted to see him. Hey God, where the heck are you? I mean, we know Egypt. We've been living there for over 400 years. Now it was a familiar place for us, but here, this place, where the heck are we? And some of the complaints that they had was, I liked it back there. I liked it when we were, even though we were a slave, I really liked the familiar place. You know, um, all of us, I think, have that desire that we all want to have a completion of our life as we desire to lay our eyes and we want to see Jesus. Well, let me reassure you that, let me tell you that one day we will. One day, I'll guarantee you, okay? I, I bet my whole entire security that we will, but until that day, you and I are supposed to be walking by faith and not by sight. In the meanwhile, we're supposed to walk by faith, not by sight. You see, as we said before, proof of being a follower of Jesus Christ is being the transformed people that God desires in all of us. Change or renewal from a life that is no longer conformed to the ways of this world, but that one that which we could really, really please our Lord up in heaven. And moreover, the evidence of that transformation within us is seen in the way we increasingly reflect the image or the likeness of his glory. Amen? Amen. No, don't, just, don't just, just, amen, right? Amen, right? But instead, the Israelites began to carve out an image of another God. Look at verse 6. Then they rose early in the next morning. They offered a burnt offering, broke the peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to pray. Now, you know, um, what is this deal with this golden calf? Now, you know, whenever I would read this verse, I, like I said, Lord, why not the monkeys or why not the cute pandas or something? Why the golden calf? Well, well where have they been locked up over 400 years? In Egypt, right? And in Egypt, one of the most represented characters in their pantheons of their God was a bull by the name of Apis. So here what we have is God's people patterning their lives of worship after what they had seen in the pagan land for over 400 years. You know, um, I believe this is actually really at the heart of idolatry. This is the problem of the personal laws as we say, well, I, I need a statue to remind myself of God. And it really indicates something about myself that my relationship with God is, is weak and distant at times. And I just need a reminder as we try desperately to gain back that intimacy by carving a reminder, a reminder of a God that we just became so distant and maybe lost. And so instead of waiting patiently, 
the people quickly breaks. Remember last week, the Ten Commandments? They break the first commandment by carving out an image of another God. But God, whom they thought were silent, quickly reacts. I, I, I want to remind you something. Just because God is silent does not mean that God is not present. Just because God is silent does not mean that he's hovering and he's monitoring and he's covering our lives with the Holy Spirit. The reason I know is because all of a sudden as he was having this spiritual revelation with Moses, all of a sudden he says, okay, Moses, stop, stop here. We have a problem. And then in verse 7, he tells Moses, hey, Moses, go, hurry back down. I want you to go back down, okay? We have a little problem. And he says, the people that you have brought out, they are corrupting themselves. Look at verse 7. And the Lord said to Moses, go get down, for your people whom you have brought out of land of Egypt are corrupting themselves. Now, I want you to pause here for a moment, because did you notice something? It's very interesting. Did you just notice how God puts it here? It says, up to this point, God has always called the Israelites, they're my people, they're my homies, right? He has called them by my people. I have brought them out of Egypt. Now in verse 7, look, check this out. He says, hey, Moses, it's your people <laughs> whom you have brought out of Egypt, okay? Now, does this sound kind of familiar? I, I, I am guilty of this. I, I, I am super guilty of this, right? Like I look at my son and my daughter. I am so proud of you, son. I, I'm so proud of you, my daughter, until they, they misbehave. Then I look at my wife and say, oh, that's your daughter and that's your son. But not only that, not only that, he is telling his people, hey, they're your people, okay? But not only that, all of a sudden, God gives the Israelites a, a different name. He, he calls them by a different name. Look at verse 9. And the, and the Lord said to Moses, I have seen these people, and indeed, they are a stiff-necked people. They are your stiff-necked people. And now, those of you guys who don't know what the word stiff-necked is, Stiff neck is a farmer's metaphor of an ox or a horse that will not respond to the rope when being pulled. You see, God is calling Moses' people. Hey, Moses, your people whom you have brought out of Egypt are very stubborn. They're quick in haste. And they are unwilling to be transformed. Your people, rather than waiting upon me, 40 days, can you believe 40 days? Your people have decided to play religion with their own imaginations. They are whistling to Sinatra's tune. I'm going to do it my way, oh God. 
the staff, um, we've been reading a devotional book by Richard Foster. It's called Celebrating Spiritual Discipline. And in one of the chapters, it caught me attention because I was preparing for the sermons. And this is an excerpt from one of, one of, one of the chapters. And it says, there's an old proverb to the effect that all those who quickly respond to their mouth is so closed their eyes and simply listen. For the purpose of silence and solitude is to be able to see and hear the voice of God. But when we are hastily prone to speak of ourselves and are only filled with ourselves, we leave God's silence behind. But when we remember the intimate words of God that he has left within us, then that silence become very powerful. Did you guys know that the humans are the only creatures whom God had made who hastily go about their lives when they are lost or are in danger? Rather than sitting still, human beings are the ones who actually act in very, very haste. But what God is telling us this morning is as transformed people of God, we must wait upon the Lord. We must sit and wait upon the Lord. And the first act in waiting is, and we're going to learn, Moses teaches is prayer. See, when we are to pray before we make one little move or to, to make a, a, a dire problems, to solve our dire problems, we need to sit and to wait and to pray. But if you're like me, we've all come through many efforts and hours and months doing things our own way where we finally confess, Lord, I had it. Okay, Lord, I, I can't do this myself. So then we start to pray. And God is saying, if you are like that, you have a stiff neck. And so here in verse 11, Moses instructs us how to pray, but he actually kind of prays or he actually teaches how to pray in a very, very different or special way. Let's look. Verse 11 says, then Moses pleaded with the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn not against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power, with a mighty hand? Do you see what Moses is doing here? Moses is appealing before God on the basis of their relationship onto him and asks God to remember his people. And Moses stands in the gap and he prays for his people. He, he reminds God that they are his people made in the, is his, his image and he, that he has given the promise to those Israelites. Now, Moses never says that these people should be spared for any of their worth or merit on their part. Now, he simply bases his plea upon the nature and the character of who God is. And that character is that God is faithful. He is faithful to the promises and that he will be faithful to the promises that he had made to his people, especially so many, many years ago that he actually made a promise to Abraham that, that you guys are going to be a great nation. He just simply says 
God, you are so faithful. Now, you probably have, probably have worn one of these maybe in your lifetime. Now, if you have, you probably has because you probably had an accident or something. Now, I brought a neck, neck brace that my wife wore when she had a, a car accident some many, many years ago. Now, if you guys have worn this, you guys know that it's kind of uncumbersome. It's, it's very, very cumbersome. It's, it's very, very kind of difficult. I can't even put it on right now. Okay. Now, as we were doing our devotional, uh, one of the pastors reminded me something, and all of a sudden they said, you know what, I, I, I'm going to take that from you. Now, those of you guys who have ever had a neck brace, you know that it is very, very difficult to move to the left, move to the right, and it is especially hard to even look back. And the only thing that you could do with a neck brace when you have a neck brace is to look forward. And while we were doing the devotion, one of the pastors reminded me that's exactly what a stiff neck people do. We never look to the left. We never look to the right or even look back at what God has done in our lives. I don't know if you guys remember uh, last month as I was leading the communion, as I was sitting still, one of the things that in my own life that I really, really regretted, that Lord, you know what? You've never had a good mentor that I could actually follow in his footsteps. And that's one of the things that as a pastor for 36 years, like, you know what? You've never really had somebody like, you know what? Guiding me and leading me and teaching me the ropes. And all of a sudden last month, as I was sitting just right there, all of a sudden God began to reveal all those names that he had brought into my life. And all of a sudden I just realized, you know what? I've actually had more great mentors in my life than any of the people, any of these great pastors. I really had these great mentors in my life. And all of a sudden realized as I look back, in an amazement how God had been faithful to the promises which he made when I actually said, I will become your shepherd. And he said, I will make you or I will lead you or I will help you and I will, you know, surround yourself with these great leaders. And I remember that. You see, as a stiff-necked people, you'll never be able to turn around and look back and see what God has done in your life. And Moses is saying, see, look, you've actually made these people out and people of Israel. Now, if you read more, more, more in the rest of chapter 32, he begins to stand in the gap with the people and says, look, look what that God has done in your life. So this week, how do I tie this? How do I, you know, 
you know, we, we've been calling it an extra credit, right? So this week I've been thinking like, thinking like, what can I do to apply this truth? Now, I, I don't want to be like other pastors, like handing out a task. Now, those of you guys last week, did you guys kind of review your wedding vows with your spouse? That, that was one of the extra credits, right? Right? Now, see, see, you guys didn't even do it. I, 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 you guys didn't even do it. You guys didn't even follow the directions. Anyways, so I didn't want to do that. I, I didn't want to give you another kind of a, a, a thing to do this week. Now, do you know that one of the most important words in the Hebrew language is this word emut, E-M-U-T, which means stability, firmness, or certainty and this is where we get the English word. Now, anybody know? We want to take a guess. Emut. E-M-U-T. Emut? Emut? No? It's the word we get, amen. So every time we say amen, what we're really saying is it is certain, it is yes, it is absolutely true. So say to God that God is true is the same thing as God, you are faithful. And the prayer that Moses was lifting up into God was that, God, you are so faithful, you are true. God, you, these are your people whom you want to carry out your great commission. And everything that you have said and will do are certain, 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 and that you are 100% reliable and 100% other times. So here is the extra credit. Here's the extra credit. Voila. Okay, good. Next week, just relax this week, okay, guys? You guys have no homework. But simply, I would want you guys, when you're hearing the message from this pulpit, I want you to agree, not with me, okay? With the word that is being preached from this pulpit, and I prayerfully wish that this practice will allow us ultimately confess who is directing our path and to remember who is in control of our lives. Now, this morning, as I was trying to get you guys to say amen, oh my God, it was so hard. <laughs> you know, um, one of the things that I realize about a transformed people and a transformed church is that people actually say a lot of amen. Amen? Amen. Very good. Now, I'm going to give you a little test, and i leave you with this. Do we really want that person to be God? who knows how to reach the finish line, or would it want you to be me, myself, and I? Sometimes we don't even know where the finish line is. So if we want God to direct our path, we, we gotta seek after his will. And the things that his way, his desire, his wants, rather than singing to Sinatra's tune, Lord, I'm going to do it my way. I want us to practice, seriously, guys. Next week, as the word of God is being preached, as you agree, I'm, I'm certain, Lord, your word that has been preached from this pulpit, I agreed. 
and we want us to exercise. Not just next week. I want us to say, Lord, I commit my life to you. You are the one who leads me to that finish line, and I am willing to live my life your way till then. So even though you didn't do Patrick Calvin's extra homework, next week I'm going to test you guys, see if you guys actually are going to fulfill God's extra credit next week. Let's pray. Father God, this morning, you know, sometimes we are people that only looks forward. Sometimes what you're telling us to do is to look sideways, even behind to remember what you have led, what would you have done in our lives. Father God, we, we thank you for what you have done to get us out of SDA, how you have placed us 7,900 Mountain Boulevard, Mountain Boulevard, Mount Zion, Mount where, Father Lord, that you and I, or you and all of us, desire for us to really, really become intimate into all. Father, we really want to be your people. We desire that your life filling in us, Father God, would illuminate the aroma of Jesus Christ to the people, to the nations, and the end of the earth. And I ask you this, Father Lord, that the world teaches us that, you know what, do it your way, do it my way. And yet, Father God, your way is always the best. Father, this morning, as we looked at the reflection of the Israelites, they could even wait for 40 days, and they were just wondering. And they made this image of another God that they were so used to back in Egypt. Father God, I ask in the name of Jesus that when we actually have those moments that we would just simply wait and stop and lean upon your understanding. Father God, one of the things that I think for transformed people is to have a heart of repentance. And I ask in the name of Jesus, would Jesus allow giving us, filling us, convicting our hearts for those times when we are going the wrong way for us to stop and look back and to be able to recognize that you are the one who is in lead. Father, this morning, once again, I thank you so very much for the past so that we could actually have a clear present and the future, which is in Christ Jesus. And we're going to look at next week, Father God, the reason why you've created the tabernacle. And Father God, that is to be able to dwell in the hearts of all the people. Father, I thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.